The Longhorn Confidential Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order at zaxby's.com. Hey, Texas fans, this is the Longhorn Confidential for Thursday, September 26th. We are two days away from absolutely nothing because Texas has a bye this week. We're also exactly 77 years removed from Jackie Field's 161-yard game against Kansas State and a 64-0 Texas win. No Longhorn has rushed for more yards against the Wildcats. And fun fact, that's the lowest rec- that's the lowest yardage against a Big 12 opponent. That was a great game. Wise. I was not there. And I don't think Kirk Bowles may have been there. But um, <laughs> Kirk was in the press box. We, we were not. Anyway, I'm Danny Davis, the Austin American Statesman. As always, I'm joined by Mike Craven. Mike, say hello. Hello, everybody. And Mike, I am so glad you are here. Ugh. Because we are going to start this podcast off with your favorite topic in the entire world. Texas versus Texas A&M. That's still, is that still a thing? Well, I thought, I thought that went away. Well, as you know, the Longhorns and Aggies have not played since 2011. Um, the rivalry isn't coming back, much to the chagrin of a lot of people on Twitter. Not to, your, not, not to yours. Well, I wrote about that like when it happened. Like mm-hmm. I called this a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people need to go away before this game comes back. Yep. But, uh, it's like when your parents get divorced there. and you're just hoping they get back together, but they're not. Mom's with a new guy, dad's with a new girl, and you just got to move on. But anyway, you know the Longhorns and the Aggies—they are still um, battling on the recruiting trail. Yes. And uh, why don't you fill us in on the news that happened on Friday? So this was big. You know, Texas, Texas A&M for a long time, specifically at the end of Mac's career, and then under Charlie, Texas, Texas A&M were playing different styles and recruiting a lot of different players. There was a couple of overlaps. The most famous one being the Kyler Murray uh, incident, where he kind of took a late visit and almost switched uh, under Charlie Strong. Uh, but for the most part, Texas, a- Texas A&M's gone after their guys. Texas has gone after their guys. Uh, with Tom Herman and Jimbo Fisher here, they're looking for a similar football player. And so uh, it's really led to a lot more recruiting battles over the last couple of years. And one that appeared to be in Texas A&M's favor earlier in the cycle was Troy Omery. He's a wide receiver out of Fort Bend, Austin. Not the most polished wide receiver. Maybe not somebody that's going to come in and play right away, but... I mean, he just looks like a super freak, right? Like, he looks like a grown adult. He runs like a grown adult. He's already big enough and thick enough to kind of look like a college football player. So one of those dudes you just take in recruiting and hope pans out because of their athleticism. He flipped to Texas on Friday. I know when he made that decision uh, to, to pick A&M back in the spring, he was really high on Texas. And that's something that fans, I don't think, really understand is a lot of these players that are OU, their second choice was Texas. A lot of their play, players that are at Texas, their second choice was A&M or, you know, vice versa. The players don't look at these rivalries the same as the fans do, whereas they're like, oh, I like A&M, so I could never like Texas or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of similarities. Uh, Troy Omery basically said he really just likes the way the Texas offense is looking, the way they're throwing the ball around, and he thought it was a better offense for his skill set, and that's why he, he made the change. And it was huge for Texas because they needed some wide receivers in 2020. So not only did it, you know, hurt Jimbo Fisher's recruiting class, give some bragging rights, it also filled a position of need at wide receiver with one of the best in the state. So while the kids may not care as much, which you're right, you know, they they want to go to a good school, and mm-hmm. if that's A and M, they'll go there. If that's Texas, they'll go there as they you know plot out their futures. But the fans do care, right? And now that you know Tom and Jimbo are kind of going after the same kids or have the same you know recruiting 
things in mind. Would you say A&M is now Texas's biggest rival on the recruiting path, or is Texas most concerned with what you know a conference foe like Oklahoma or maybe you know maybe a Baylor, one of these Big Twelve teams, is doing? Honestly, it depends on where it is. If we're in DFW, Texas's biggest competition for a recruit is probably Oklahoma. If we're in East Texas, Houston, Southeast Texas, uh, then it's probably Texas A&M or even LSU. So some of it depends on the football player. Some of it depends on, depends on the scheme. But I think a lot of it just depends on location. You know, if you're in Dallas, Oklahoma is as close as, as Texas is. Same with LSU and Houston. So it's a regional thing. Uh, the Longhorns are wanting to kind of spread across the state. And they have the best brand to be able to do that. And 2018 was Tom Herman's class. That was his first full cycle. He dominated the state. Jimbo Fisher's first full class was 2019, and he did the same thing. He dominated the state, and Herman had to go sign 10 guys in that class from out of state. This was the one where I was waiting to see who was going to win those battles, and right now it looks like Tom Herman is winning those battles. Texas fans are obviously pretty familiar with Tom Herman and how he recruits over these past few years, but how would you describe Jimbo Fisher for the Texas fans who are just getting to know him and how how he recruits? This is going to sound odd, but Jimbo Fisher's known as a cool dude. You know, just like one of those old guys that kind of gets it. Mm -hmm. You know, so he he doesn't go in necessarily as much with an iron fist and like, this is how we're going to play and we're going to win football. You know, it's more of a, he's more of a player's coach than a lot of people probably uh, assume definitely more than Tom Herman probably is in terms of just being a pure, you know, players coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think what Jimbo's done well is he's he's made connections with some of the guys in the state that that some people think are untouchable. The seven on seven guys, the trainers. He was not shy about going and making contact with those guys when he first got the A and M job, and uh, that paid off for him. But again, it just comes back to perception. It comes back to to what you can do, and I think. Uh, last year's class for A&M was fantastic. They're playing in the SEC. It just comes down to every other coach that's been there has faced. Is eventually, it's fine to say you're in the SEC, but sooner or later you have to start beating those teams or the kids want to go somewhere where they can they can win some football games in a conference championship. Mm-hmm. Um, well, before we actually get on with this podcast, what has been your favorite Texas A&M recruiting battle? Was it the Kyler Murray, the athletic, I think last year had a really good oral history of when he flirted with Texas. Was it this uh, Troy Omri thing this past week? And what was your favorite Aggie Longhorn battle on the recruiting trail? I mean, for my age, it has to be Kyler Murray. I mean, there was probably some that I'm forgetting about, you know, back in the 80s or 90s that were fantastic. But in the common age, it was not so it was the perfect storm of everything. It was, you know, A&M versus Texas. It was also historically and statistically maybe the best quarterback in Texas high school football. Texas needed a quarterback at the time. There was just so many things going on there. A cookie cake was involved. You know, just social media was getting, you know, real, Twitter was becoming, you know, where everybody was talking about stuff. And so it happened in, like, real time. And so, I, yeah, the Kyler Murray saga uh, was fantastic. And I, the best part about it, ironically to me, is that he went and won a Heisman at a completely different school. That, that he did. Uh, time to go around the 40 acres. Uh, let's start with Logan Parr, 2020 commit, um, offensive lineman. Mike, uh, you wrote about him in your dotted line column on hook'em.com on Monday. Um, you talked a little bit about his versatility. Texas knows a lot about vers- versatile linemen. It's what they kind of preach. They preach cross-training. Uh, Derek Kirster, Elijah Rodriguez are two examples of the past couple of years of guys who can play lots of positions for them. 
Is Logan Parr that guy? Will he be that guy for the Longhorns when he gets here? I think so. I, he reminds me a lot of Derek Kerstetter, a guy from San Antonio that maybe not, maybe doesn't get the exact buzz that he should, not all the way there yet in terms of weight, but just a really good technician, a really hard-playing football player. He's been on varsity since he was a freshman. His coach tells a story about how in eighth grade he just kept showing up to high school workouts in the summer, and they just couldn't tell him to stop coming. You know, he just kept kept showing up and lifting with the older guys. He's just he's a football playing dude, and that's what Herb Hand wants is just football playing dudes. And it's not necessarily about finding offensive tackles or offensive guards or even centers. It's about finding you know the best five offensive linemen you can, and then once you get them on campus, you can figure out where to put them from there. Um, like I said, uh, Logan's part of this 2020 class. Um, how would you say this 2020 class is stacking up uh, with uh, Herman's previous classes? Obviously, the transition class, even though it's produced a lot of starters, wasn't highly rated. Then he had that 2018 class, which was hailed, and last year's class wasn't wasn't too bad, the 2019 class. So how is this 2020 class stacking up? I still believe the 2018 class is Tom Herman's best class, but this one's getting close if we're just going player by player. Now, the 2018 class had 27, 28 kids. Um, so it ranked much higher, and, and it, you know this class won't probably get ranked any higher than fifth, just because it's going to run out of room, and other teams are going to start to fill up with more players. But if we just look at just position by zip position and player by player, it's hard to to not enjoy this class a lot. It has a little bit of everything. You have two really dynamic quarterbacks. There's a five star running back in there. There's four offensive linemen. Detroit Omri. Uh, uh, flip on offense was huge. So offensively, they're doing great. Defensively, the defensive line, they're landing you know, two or three of the top best defensive linemen in the state. Secondary's good again. Linebacker's just kind of a down year. So I love this 2020 class if we're just going player by player, and I think it's one that uh, is going to be more productive than the headlines suggest so far. What would you say is a position of concern as we move forward? This linebacker. And I, I don't know, and that's not just in the 2020 recruiting class. That's just Texas in general. And it may be, this could be one of those, uh, I'm too close to the situation. This could be a thing that's just true everywhere. Where in Texas with seven on seven, on defense, the guys that used to play linebacker are now defensive ends or big safeties. And there's just not a ton of great polished linebackers in the state. So Texas has had... To go out of state a lot, you know, Jawan Mitchell is playing a lot of football right now. Uh, Gary Johnson played a lot of football. He was a JUCO guy. DeGabriel Floyd was their biggest linebacker commit last year from California. So they're trying to go outside the state for those guys. The 2021 class is good in state. But if I'm looking at a position on this team and going, okay, where is the talent not as good as maybe some of the other places? For me, it's linebacker. All right, uh, Mike, last week you did a little bargain shopping. You got to see three commits for the price of one. Beautiful. One game. Uh, you saw Denton Ryan's Billy Bowman and Jatavian Sanders beat up on Ty Jordan's West Mesquite team. Uh, you read about the Denton Ryan duo and your dotted line column on Tuesday, excuse me, over on hook'em.com, so check that out. But we also have a post game interview with Billy Bowman that you can listen in on. Here with uh, Billy Bowman from Denton Ryan. Uh, I guess first, kind of what made Texas your choice and what made you so comfortable to kind of pull the trigger early? 
Uh, when I went up there at Stars at Night, the little thing before they kicked off things for their for their team, uh, I just felt like it was home and all, how the coaches treated me and just have good relationships with the coaches. And I feel like it's a place that I want I want to be for the next four years. You're a guy who plays both sides of the ball, uh, can clearly do it all. Do have they talked about kind of where you project to, or is that something that'll happen in the future? Uh, that's something that will happen in the future. They Coach Herman basically told me that when I come in, thank you. When I come in, that I can basically almost choose what I want to play, depending on what they have or what they need. But I'm willing to do either or, to be honest. Do you have a preference? Is there one side of the ball or something you enjoy playing more than the other? No, I mean, I don't have a preference. I, I'll do whatever it, I need to do to help the team. But I like the ball in my hands the most, so I can make the have on defense by creating offense and special teams. Denton Ryan is great. The best, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Came here eighth grade, and it's been nothing but successful since. And uh, the tradition we have here is so great. Um, many people don't even know about it. So it's just, it's, it's really good to be playing at Denton Ryan. What's it like to know you're going to have a teammate, you know, kind of joining you in the same class and, and going the same place? Y'all it's planning on roommates? I'm oh yeah, most definitely. Definitely, we're going to be roommates. Definitely. But yeah, it, feel, it feels great. Yeah, that's all I can say. We're going we to have the number one recruiting class when it all comes down to it. Yeah. How important is it now that y'all are committed to kind of reach out to some of those other guys in your class and kind of get them on board with you? I know Dallas is a big, hot area in the 2021 class. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's somewhat important, but we're not focused on that right now. We focus on going 1-0 every week with our, our team right now because we, we got a goal that we need to reach that we came short the last five years. So we're not really worried about that right now, but I'm sure after the season we'll reach out to people. Is that what's nice about getting it out of the way is, like, you can put that out into the back burner and just play football? Yes, definitely. I mean, we don't have to think about it that much. We, we already made our decision. We know where we want to go. I don't know about you, Mike, but just hearing uh, Billy say 1-0 mentality makes me think he's – Ready to be a Longhorn. He's already, already there. There's a long. There's a lot of Longhorn flavor on that team. You know, De, De La Torre, Alex De La Torre, mm-hmm. uh, is a is a position coach on that team. So, uh, definitely not unfamiliar with the Longhorn process. At uh, Billy Bowman, he's a 2021 athlete. He committed uh, to Longhorns in July. You know, since he's an athlete, that means he can do lots of things. Um, but what position do you think he projects to when he gets to college in two years? I really like him as a wide receiver. I don't know if he's big enough to play outside, so maybe a slot guy. And the way Texas uses the slot receiver, I would say it's a much more important position than it is on, on many football teams. I don't know if he's quite a cornerback. If he was a corner, I would say there, but he was playing safety for Denton Ryan. And he even said in the interview, and I thought this was great, he basically admitted you know, he can play wherever he wants, that Tom Herman essentially told him you know, they'll kind of look at you know what the positions are, are looking like when he gets on campus, and he'll likely play uh, whichever one gets him on the field first. It could be a Deshaun Jameson type situation, where you know as a freshman, if they need him on defensive back or they need him at wide receiver, he plays that one. But that doesn't end up being his full time position. He is a freaky athlete. Uh, he scored three touchdown, three touchdowns in the game I saw him play, and uh, I'm pretty excited to see where he projects just because he he really is just a, a freaky athlete. He's going to be one of the top players in the state next year. I believe there are eight commits in this 2021 class already. Yep. Why has Texas got so many kids making that decision so early? I mean, they still have a lot of high school in, in front of them. And that's the tough part, right? If you're these college coaches, if I give you truth serum, 
you probably don't want kids this early. You know, you'd probably rather see them play their junior year, not only to watch them develop on the field, but develop off the field and see how they're handling the grades, how they're handling girl problems, how they're handling life, uh, and just get more information about those guys. But what happened to Texas in the 2019 class, I believe changed Tom Herman's philosophy. And that's when he started getting ready to really take the bulk of that class. A&M had beat him to the punch. DeMarvin Leal was already committed. Kenyon Green. Some of those great players in the state in 2019 were already either committed to Texas A&M or leaning to Texas A&M before the spring game. Herman decided never again. That's not happening anymore. We're going to start taking the best of the best that we know we're probably going to take uh, had they been seniors. And so he's beating them to the punch and saying, hey, jump on board or you may get left behind. And I, we'll probably have the, the interview next weekend. But I asked Jatavion Sanders uh, from Denton Ryan kind of why he committed to Texas. And his answer flat out was, I didn't want my spot taken. And mm-hmm. so I think some of it is these young guys are realizing that you know there's only a precious amount of spots and they have to fill them with people. And then the colleges are realizing that these kids want to get the decision out of the way earlier so you need to start getting in their ear about committing earlier before they commit to a different school because it's harder to talk a kid into decommitting than it is to to commit this 2021 class do they have a shot to be a top three top two maybe even a number one class in the country i i think 2021 will be tom herman's best class since he's been here and i love the 2018 class some of that's proximity it was kind of really my first real class at the statesman as well so I got to see all those guys a lot. Uh, but I don't think the state has had as much talent uh, inside of it at the high school level um, since 2018. Texas is all already really a second-ranked class in the nation. If some of the names around the state are, are that are rumored to be coming to Texas end up going to Texas, I, I think the Longhorns end up with what is statistically their best class uh, under Tom Herman, especially if they go over the 25-person limit. Cool. All right, enough about football. Yep. It's time for our recruiting spotlight. Uh, each week, you know, we try to, excuse me, shine a spotlight on a future Longhorn who won't be playing football at Texas. This week, we're going to talk soccer. We're going to talk about future UT soccer player Kelsey Renicki. Kelsey will be a four-year letterman for Houston Memorial when the soccer season gets underway this winter. She was a starting midfielder on Memorial's Class Six A championship team in 2018. Last year, 26 goals, 31 assists. She was District 17 Sixes MVP. I'd imagine. That was pretty, uh, pretty impressive stat line. Um, when asked her to describe Kelsey in one word, her high school coach, uh, she said relentless. Uh, coach uh, Amaranto said that Kelsey has amazing technical skills, and she says she has an awesome ability to see plays unfold. Uh, when I pressed her for a deficiency in Kelsey's game, she said there wasn't many, but she said she could probably be a little vocal on the field at times, which, you know, that happens when you're 16, 17, 18 <laughs> you years old. Got to find your voice. She'll uh, she'll find it eventually. Uh, Kelsey committed to Texas in June of 2017. When she gets to campus, she should be an instant contender for a playing time and the Big 12's uh, All Academic Award. Uh, Coach Amarantos told me that Kelsey is currently in contention to be Houston Memorial's valedictorian. So, Jeez. smarter than I am. That's a talented young woman. Uh, Mike, where did you where did you rank uh, in your high school class? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't even in the top 50%, bro. Like, I mean, my SAT score made uh, people think I was cheating mm-hmm. because it was so much better than my grades. But I just, I was a bad day in, day out student when I was in high school. Yeah, I made top 25%, but that is not top uh, 1%. So Kelsey's going to have us both beat. 
I, I was focused on things other than homework. <laughs> I, high school was tough. All right, uh, let's uh, wrap this up. Mike, where are you going to go this weekend? I am back to Houston. I am going to see 2021 commits because that is the class that is on fire right now. I'm going to go see Derek Harris Jr., uh, an outside linebacker at New Caney on Thursday. Then I'm going to go see uh, the famous Jalen Milrow, the quarterback at Katie Tompkins, who is kind of responsible for putting half of this 2021 class together. I'm going to go watch him uh, play on Friday. Awesome, Mom. You know, you have your gambling column each week. In this spot, we normally talk about the Texas game and the in the line. Obviously, there's not a Texas game to gamble on this week. But are there any spreads that you saw this week that you kind kind of looking at, kind of interested in? You know, I haven't really dug into it yet. I need to uh, look a little bit more. I've had better luck on the NFL side than the college. Anybody following along on Craven's Corner can tell you that college football has been really bad, and the NFL has been really good. So. Uh, right now, Vikings plus two and a half. Really like that over the Bears. Mitch Trubisky is horrible. And then uh, Bengals, Bengals minus four. I, I'm, I'm, I like the Bengals. So. And as always, you can hang out on Craven's Corner on Wednesday on hook'em.com and on the newspaper on Thursdays. Uh, let's do our mailbag, Mike. Um, as always, if you have a question for us, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm A.S. Danny. Mike is at Craven Mike. Uh, Facebook. We put up a um, plea for questions each week, so you can find that on our Bevo Beat uh, account and submit your questions there. Uh, we're going to start. Mark Powell asked this last week, but I think um, this would be a good question to ask this week. He noticed that he thought Texas had been signing a lot of um, three-star prospects, which they have, but you know, you're not going to get nothing but five stars. But his question that I think is interesting is he wanted to know how the ratings, are the ratings very accurate? And I think this is a good time to ask how do these ratings come about? You know, not to throw you know two four seven or rivals under the bus because obviously they they have a big job. But you know, how you do your Fab fifty five, which is ranking the top fifty five prospects in the state. But how do these rankings kind of come about? Yeah, here's my issue with the rankings, and this is somebody. This is coming from somebody who used to work at Rivals, own two websites at Rivals. I, I, have, I have nothing but respect for for what those guys do. However. It's hard to rank past the top 150, 200 players in the state, right? Like, I love the Fab 55 because you can find 55 guys that are kind of far and away better than everyone else. There's probably five or six that get left out, but after that, you're splitting hairs, and it comes down to how many guys can you really see? Can you really rank 400 players in the state of Texas? Can you really watch that much film? Can you really go to that many games? Can you get that much information from camps? And the answer is you can't. Mm -hmm. So what happens is the can't-miss guys are five stars, right? The freaks of the freaks that anybody, my mom could show up to a camp or to a game and be like, well, that's the best player on the football field. Those guys are five stars. Four stars are a little bit, you know, the ones right after that, the ones that may, uh, that are really good football players but may not be, you know, an inch or two, uh, may not be six seven in offensive tackle. They're six five instead, so they get to four stars. But see, after we get to those guys, once we get into three stars, two stars, those are the guys that may not be tall enough, may not be strong enough, may not be fast enough uh, at a camp setting for guys to think are going to do well at the college level. And they just kind of get the three-star label. There's not a ton uh, of ideas or really selection to go in there. If you're not a five-star, if you're not a four-star, you're a three-star. And so uh, three-stars tend to be guys who – maybe lack you know, a few inches at a position that's you know about size or, or maybe run a 4.6 instead of a 4.4. Four. 
That doesn't mean that they're bad football players. It's just like the NFL draft where those guys drop at combines and things like that. It just means they're missing something in their game that makes it feel like they're a guarantee at success. There's not going to be as many five stars and four stars. So even if you go look at Alabama's and Clemson's class, they have three stars in them. So that's just part of the game. And there's just the way that they do the rankings is to set it up to where it feels special to be a five star. It feels special to be a four star. So they're not going to make everybody uh, a four star because then it kind of eliminates the whole prestige of it. Um, let's go over to Twitter at uh, racer racer x five nine zero eight. He asked about small town recruiting. He noted that previous recruit Traylon Sheed and Tyrone Swoops they were you know highly regarded recruits from small towns one a two a schools didn't turn out it did just did, did not work at Texas although Tyrone had the Notre Dame moment. Um, do you think Texas will stop recruiting at the low level? You know, if you want to do the counter argument, Colt McCoy didn't come from big school, and he's uh, his numbers retired. So, well, what do you think about recruiting at the low level? Right. I mean, Swoops went on to make an NFL squad. So, I mean, some of that's just bad position play. You know, he was at the wrong position probably and stuff like that. But here's the thing: this isn't about Texas. This is about the changing landscape of high school football. There's not as many stars at the small schools anymore because they move. Whether the UIL wants to talk about it or not, uh, if you're a four-star, five-star kid as a sophomore at you know a small like a small school, you're going to end up at a bigger one, or you're going to end up at a private school, and that's that's the new trend in the state of Texas. Isn't the small schools? It's taps. It's transferring uh, to the Houston to the Bel Air Episcopals and the Parish Episcopals and Fort Worth All Saints, where the Brockemeyers go and. So those kind of private schools are taking over where the smaller schools may have had some hidden gems. Now those hidden gems go to the closest big program so they can win and be seen, which is, you know, smart on their part. Yeah. Um, Let's stay on Twitter. This question is actually going to be answered by Brian Davis in his Thursday mailbag, but I'm stealing it because I liked it. Um, Texas Steelman asked, you know, with Roshan Johnson, now the number two running back in the Texas backfield, um, and Texas losing – to transfer um, quarterbacks this past offseason with Cameron Rising going to uh, Utah and Shane Bouchelle going to SMU. Do you think Texas looks for a grad transfer in the offseason or with Sam being a senior and they're bringing in some other kids assuming um, that Casey Thompson sticks around, is that enough for Texas or do they need to go get a grad transfer? Yeah, if Casey Thompson stays, they'll be fine. Uh, One, they don't want to impact recruiting and add another quarterback to a room that may keep a young guy away from trying to come in and compete. So you have Sam Ellinger as a senior, Casey Thompson as a, you know, well-experienced, at least in practice and within the system, a backup quarterback. And then as your third stringer, you can either have Rashawn as the immediate or emergency quarterback or someone like Hudson Carter, Jick Wendon Jackson, whoever wins that battle early on can be your emergency quarterback. Because let's be real here. If Texas is down to their third quarterback, even if it's a JUCO transfer, nothing good is happening, yeah. right? So uh, for the Longhorns, they'd rather use that spot on a young kid or at a different position and kind of just roll with what they have. And again, that's if Casey Thompson stays. If he if he transfers out, then all of that changes. But if Casey Thompson's there, they'll roll with those two plus Rashawn or Hudson Card probably. And plus, you know, Texas does have a walk-on in Sam Sexton, who was a three-star. Yeah, he's a really good. Offer, I mean, he, so. he could be at Memphis right now, which yeah, so could win he, a conference championship. So he's they, a good football player. He, they have a decent, you know, some decent talent on the depth chart. And 
you know, grad transfers want to play. They're not coming to, you know, not a lot of grad transfers, unless they want to go to Texas and get that degree, are coming to, you know, back up a, you know, a Heisman Trophy contender. Cause right, and there's they not come to a, Texas, they're not, they're not starting. And you can't convince them that it's an open competition. Or, I mean, Sam Allinger is the quarterback of this team unless his leg falls off or he graduates. Yeah. You know, so uh, there's not much room for any of this. And if Sam goes down, so does Texas football chances at a college football playoff next year. 2020 goes away if Sam gets injured, especially if Casey also gets injured. Mm-hmm. So you might as well just use that on a young guy and just you know kind of eat that season if that was what happened. Um, finally, my last question is: You seem to get in a little bit of a Twitter spat yesterday with some uh, fans <laughs> from from out north. Uh, to recap, every everyone, um, I don't understand. Mike Gundy, the Oklahoma State coach, um, was on his Big 12 conference call. Got asked a question by our friend Mark Rosner, former Statesman employee, now for the AP Press. Uh, was asking about a rumor that um, had been floating around social media about Gundy being left some money by T. Boone Pickens to get a haircut. Uh, Mike Gundy did not respond in kind, which you know is certainly his right to the question. Sure. But then he had the audacity to, at his press conference, the gall, go up there and act like he was upset because uh, Mark was wasting the media's time. That's as the part. In, as in. As if the Big 12 conference calls ever produce 10 minutes of quality content. It is normally just national writers asking questions that have been asked 26 times before. A lot of awkward silence, and usually the coaches out of there it's seven or eight minutes because someone, people quit asking questions. And that's for the, the coaches like Texas that have the national brand. I mean, Kansas is on there for like 26 seconds. Right. So, you know, Gundy goes on there, starts crying about how this was a, you know, a front to journalism and how, you know, he's, you know, Mark was taking away time from, um, you know, all the, all the journalists doing good work. And so my question here is, does Mike Gundy care about your time, Mike? Absolutely not. None of these coaches do. And they shouldn't. I'm fine with it. Don't get up there and lie and say that you do. If, if Mike Gundy had said, I hated that question, it was a stupid question, I'm not answering it, we're moving on. I have, I have nothing but respect for that. I don't agree with it, but at least, I, at least that's the truth. Mm-hmm. There is no way in the world Mike Gundy only responded that way to a question because he was worried about our time. Mm-hmm. There's just, it's, it's absolutely insane. It's a cowardly thing to hide behind. And it's just another example of a head coach who preaches toughness, uh, truthfulness, and transparency doing the exact opposite of what he tells the teenagers on his team to do. Yeah, especially since this is the man who got famous for yelling at a journalist. Yes, and I mean, he's got on on his weird Twitter rants and being, you know, he pretends to be the everyman with a mullet despite being the second highest paid employee of Oklahoma's school system. So it's just the hypocrisy that comes from head coaches is disgusting. And when they put it into words like that, it's just we should all be able to laugh at it together. But instead, I had people in my Twitter mentions somehow defending Mike Gundy's defense of my own time. I, I still don't quite get what the argument was about, uh, but, you know, whatever. At least I don't live in still water. Yeah, you know, fans are going to... Mike Gundy had said that the sky is red, and you'd correct him and said it was blue. There'd be people arguing that because fans are fans. Are fan, and that's... Yeah. Uh, Twitter is... The and devil. this whole idea of, like... Well, Mike Gundy... What if Mike Gundy doesn't start... If he just stops doing the Big 12 conference call? Okay. Cool, bro. Like, this isn't Lincoln Riley or Tom Herman. You know, like, you have to know your role. This is like if I protested work. I'm not Kirk Bowles. Like, nobody, like people are going to move on. Like, it's fine. Like, you're at Oklahoma State. Just say you don't want to answer the question. It was a chance to have a funny, lighthearted moment. 
about a guy who's given you crap about your hair for like 15 years. It wasn't that big. I, I, don't, I still don't get why it was that big of a deal. Oh, well, I enjoyed it. It gave us content and gave you stuff to argue about on Twitter. That's true. I love a good rant. All right. This podcast is about 35 minutes, so we are going to wrap things up and get out of here. Um, did you, did you want to add anything? I'm good. All right. Um, as I said, if you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm AS Danny. Uh, I'll be working this weekend at uh, volleyball. Um, since even though football oh, yeah. is off, I, I have a volleyball match. Uh, Texas Tech will be on Texas Tech will be on campus on Saturday afternoon. So follow me for those updates. No home de- no Home Depot trip with the wife. No Home Depot trip this weekend. Uh, Craven Mike on Twitter. If you want to follow him on his recruiting trails this weekend, and uh, don't forget to shoot us a review at the Apple Store and the Google Podcast app. We sure do appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for tuning in each week. We'll be back next Thursday. This is the Longhorn Confidential Podcast presented by Zaxby's.